The evil of corruption reaches into every corner of the world. Corruption lies at the heart of the most urgent problems we face. Welcome to Confidential Brief, where Chad Thomas takes you into the stories behind the issues facing our society. Very good afternoon to you. Today is the 11th of July, 2022, and a pretty chilly day in Johannesburg. It's been quite a month for Johannesburg, for South Africa as a large, um, when it comes to the question of crime, what it, when it comes to the question of what is going on, um, we look to our leadership for, for advice, for guidance, and it seems like our leadership is caught up in midst of scandals of their own. One looks at the Pala Pala debacle, and this just seems to be getting worse and worse and worse. The longer that the president does not respond to the very serious allegations that have been made with, in, res, in respect to this matter, the longer South Africans are kept um, wanting and waiting for answers. And it doesn't bode well for the government of the day, especially when one looks at what's happening around the world, when one looks at what's happened in Sri Lanka, which is reminiscent of what happened in South Africa exactly a year ago this week, where our country went into the depths of depravity with regards to the insurrection. And one sees what's happening currently in Sri Lanka, where the poorest of the poor have not just taken to the streets, they've virtually taken over the country by force. One has to ask the question, when are things going to come right? We have a great show lined up. I'll be joined in a couple of minutes by Carvel Webb. He is the current president of the South African Arms and Ammunition Collectors Association, Gauteng Branch. And we're going to be chatting about the fact that legal firearm owners seem to be targeted, whereas in actual fact, they contribute so much not just in respect of the legislation and contributing towards the legislation of arms and ammunition in South Africa, but more importantly, making it something that is beneficial to all and ensuring that people understand the roles that firearms and ammunition in private hands, what role that is played in South Africa, a role that a lot of people take for granted. They think it's purely self-defense or used by security companies. They have no idea about the sports aspect. They have no idea about the collectible aspect. And it's something that needs to be front and center because the argument about arms and ammunition ownership in South Africa seems to continue unabated. And it's coming from a position where individuals are speaking out without having knowledge at their fingertips. It's not empirical arguments that are being made. It's arguments that are being made that are passionate, and it's arguments that are unfounded. And helping me to break this down will be Carvel Webb, who will be joining us in a couple of minutes. But before that, I'd like to remind you that the views expressed on the show aren't necessarily those of High FM, its management, or myself. You're listening to The Confidential Brief with Chad Thomas on High FM. We're joined today by the president, uh, uh, the president president of the South African Arms and Ammunition Collectors Association for the Gauteng region, Carvel Webb. Carvel, welcome to the show. Yeah, Chad, thanks very much and uh, good afternoon to you and your listeners and thanks for the opportunity to join you. So Carvel, you joined me on, on a day and it was completely unpredicted, but you joined me on a day where we are recovering from news over the weekend of an absolutely shocking incident that occurred not just in Soweto, but another incident in Maritzburg, another incident in Katlahong. That was four shot dead in Maritzburg, 15 shot dead in Soweto, two shot dead in Katlahong, all at taverns, all with automatic weapons. And what frightens me the most is we are now going to hear the anti-gun lobbyists coming out in force, 
blaming the current firearm legislation for these horrendous criminal acts. Firstly, can I have your thoughts on these attacks over the weekend? Yeah, thank you, Chad. I think first and foremost, uh, as responsible firearm owners, we express our most heartfelt uh, condolences and sympathies with all of those affected. I think uh, we as responsible owners are as horrified as the rest of the population that uh, something like this uh, could happen in a society which is supposed to be uh, civilized and law-abiding. And uh, we just hope that uh, the members of SAPS and the other law enforcement agencies will get on top of this thing as soon as possible. Because, you know, the firearm is but a tool. Tools can be used for good and for bad. And in this case, it was unmitigated evil. And uh, we join the whole of the country in condemning this in the strongest terms. Now, for me, it's, it's complete logic. It makes sense when you say a firearm is a tool. I carry a firearm as a self-defense tool due to the nature of the work that I do. If I decide to use that firearm, it is a choice that I'm making. The firearm doesn't make that choice on its own. However, we are now going to see, and it's guaranteed, that there's, there's going to be with certainty news reports and interviews with lobbyists that are wanting to remove legitimate firearm ownership. And it's an argument that's been going on for many years. How do people draw a conclusion that the use, and we've heard that in the one incident, specifically the Soweto incident, that it was, an Ill, it, was, it, it was an automatic rifle that was used. Now, we know that an automatic rifle cannot be in the hands of civilians. How is it that these lobby organizations can somehow draw a conclusion that when an incident like this occurs, they must now look at the legitimate firearm owners and the legislation governing those legitimate firearm owners? Well, that, that is the message which we and other like-minded responsible firearm owner organizations try to get across. We have got decades of track record which show that responsible firearm owners, be it collectors, hunters, sport shooters, are not a problem. Uh, we respect the firearms for what they are and for what they're used for, and they are legitimate purposes. And therefore, we strive to get this message across to say that legitimate use and responsible use has a place in society and has had for hundreds of years uh, and we hope will continue to do so. We always try and get the view across that firearms as an artifact is a mirror of the state of development of the society at a particular time be it in the 1600s, 1700s, 1800s, or today. Now, uh, this is where collectors feature most prominently in that we are the custodians of heritage and conservation in this country. Over 80% of uh, collectible firearms and heritage firearms are in private hands. They're not in museums. And we have the resources to look after them, and we do look after them, and we have a track record to prove that. Sadly, uh, you ask a very valid question, where on earth did these firearms come from if automatic firearms are used uh, in an assault of this nature on innocent people and children? Uh, they certainly don't come from responsible firearm owners. And you just have to look at the media to see how often do we read 
of firearms from the police, uh, from the defense force and other resources being stolen or forcefully taken from their owners and used. And that is where we need to be able to look for this type of issue, not at the private individual. And taking firearms away from private individuals will do absolutely nothing to curb the theft and loss, so-called loss, of firearms from these resources. And we don't, mustn't forget that a lot of these things come across our borders. There are still arms caches left in this country from way back. And uh, the, the, the bad guys have access to these things. And there's nothing that we as legitimate firearm owners can do to curb that flow. But they certainly don't come in the main from the firearm groups that I've just spoken about. Another point I want to raise is we're going to see these lobbyists talking about numbers. They're going to say there's X amount of firearms in private hands. But what they don't realize, and this is where you are going to enlighten our listeners, is that there are hundreds of thousands, if not millions, of firearms in private hands. But one person maybe a collector, one person may be a dedicated sports shooter under various disciplines and therefore have a number of firearms. So you can't you can't take a figure of say, for example, there's a million weapons that are in private hands and make the assumption and and strengthen that by going out to the public and saying, do you know that there's a million firearms out there? without it being clarified and without people understanding that that number isn't actually indicative of the use of those firearms. So what I'd like to ask you now, apart from the obvious, which is self-defense or the use in security companies, what other purposes are firearms held in private persons' collections? Well, if we are going to focus on your word collections, a collection is just that. I would ask you with great respect, are you going to go and play golf with one golf club? I don't think it's going to be very successful. Um, If you have the means and you're going to collect classic cars, are you going to limit yourself to one car? Uh, No. So I think the, the issue in terms of collections per se, and that is where my passion uh, comes from for years in terms of conservation of heritage is if we, if we are going to paint a picture of what happened at a particular point in time, and this is what we'll be striving to do at our arms fair, which we'll talk about maybe a bit later on the 13th and 14th of August, is to paint pictures for people in terms of what role did firearms play at a given time for a given purpose, maybe in a given conflict, and what did they look like and what was the impact thereof? And just, I will run a couple of numbers past you from now speaking purely as a collector. Um, I think everybody is acquainted with a very humble 303 rifle. When I say humble, it's well known. It's not a humble device. It's a very deadly device, but it's well known. In terms of the expert records which we have, there's probably 150 better known variations of a 303. If you look at the Luger pistol, which features often in the movies, everybody's familiar with that iconic shape. There are 600 better known variations of a Luger. And to crown it all, if you want to look at the Mauser rifle, the military rifle, 
which was widely used for a major part of the 20th century in various roles. There's something like 900 variations. Now, if you're going to start a collection um, just of those three, you would obviously have a very wide choice in terms of what it was. Now, there are sub-themes and sub-groupings within those numbers that collectors tend to focus on because we all have limited resources. Uh, we also have to make sure that we have absolutely impeccable security. And therefore, there's a self-limiting mechanism in place in terms of how many firearms a particular collector can own at a point in time. But what the legislation does, and just to round off your question, is the legislation enjoins us to focus on a particular field of interest and particular themes in which that collector is expected to be a reasonable expert. And that's another control. So you cannot be an expert on everything. You're not going to collect all the cars in this world. So we're not going to collect all the firearms in this world. You're going to have a passion and a focus and the legislation enjoins us to have the knowledge and the interest which we have to convince the authorities we have in order to collect what we collect. And that is where the control comes in, apart from impeccable security. We're chatting to Carvel Webb from the South African Arms and Ammunition Collectors Association. When we come back from break, we're going to be chatting more about the different kinds of collections, the value of collections, and the other uses of arms in the um, private sector. We'll be back straight after this. You're listening to The Confidential Brief with Chad Thomas on High FM. Our conversation today is with Carvel Webb. He's from the South African Arms and Ammunition Collectors Association, and we're going to be discussing the upcoming fair just now. Before we went to break, we were chatting about the important role that collectors play and the sheer numbers of firearms in circulation of, of, of certain types, be it a, a war weapon like the Mauser, be it the 9x19 Luger, be it by, the, he, he gave the example of the 303 rifle. And somebody who collects firearms would want to have different variants, just like somebody who collects sports cars. But that's not the only people that are in possession of firearms that aren't only using it for self-defense. We have other examples such as sports, shotgun shooting, hunting, etc. If we had to look at numbers, Carvel, do, do, we, do we have an understanding of how many firearms are actually legally licensed to civilians? Yeah, um, well, I can't really speak for my sister organizations, but um, if we look at the, the number of firearms that are currently on the license to the, the, the SAP system, it's in the region of two, two million odd. Uh, but the, the, the greatest majority of those are in fact uh, self-defense firearms, which are licensed uh, to individuals. And an individual who is not a member of an accredited association has a, a maximum of four, which they can own, one of which would be for self-defense, the other for maybe casual hunting or sport shooting. Um, if one is looking at an accredited association and you're looking at a dedicated sports shooter, then obviously if you come back to my uh, golf club analogy, a sports shooter will have a number of firearms, and I'm, I'm not going to attempt to put a number to that because it depends on the disciplines which that sports shooter is participating in. 
Similarly, a hunter, you're not going to go and hunt an elephant with a 2-2 rifle. And you're not going to go and shoot a dossie with a 458 magnet. There will be nothing left of it. So again, what the associations have to do in together with the individuals is to look at fit for purpose firearms, depending on the interest and the focus of that particular person. But I think then uh, you're quite right in saying that is why the legislation recognized these accredited disciplines to say that, yes, you do need more than one firearm, but the more than one depends on the particular purpose and the particular focus and the particular interest of that individual. And that has to be approved, both by the association of which the person is a member, as well as the registrar. So I start off the conversation by saying the lobbyists are going to get it wrong once again. They're going to come out about firearm legislation and blame all these criminal incidents on legal firearm owners who have absolutely nothing to do with these incidents. And the fact that a lot of these incidents are used, where they, where, where the weapons that are used have been proven after the fact when these syndicates have been arrested to have come from sources such as the military, from the police, from cachets, from cross-border, and that these weapons weren't actually in the hands of, of private individuals. But there's something important here, and you'll see my point in, in, in a few minutes after I've asked you the question. Let's talk about the value of certain firearms in circulation. Let's talk about the value of rare firearms. If you could give us an example of any auctions that, that you may have witnessed recently or any major sales internationally recently where there were phenomenal prices paid for firearms, what region of price are we looking at when it comes to the rarity of certain weapons? Yeah, I think collectors don't only collect the rarest of the rare. Again, uh, if I may use your example of the car collector, there are car collectors who are very happy to collect the Volkswagen Beetles or uh, Minis, uh, not only the Ferraris and Lamborghinis of this world. And the same applies in our field. We do have those collectors who collect the Volkswagens and the Minis because they're also important. You know, the Volkswagen played a major role in moving people across the world. So you will find that less expensive firearms in the two, three, four thousand rand bracket may well be collectible in terms of the role that they played in that particular interest and what portion of history or heritage he or she is trying to illustrate. But um, talking about recent um, auctions, you know, it just takes off depending on the rarity. We saw some firearms fetching an excess of 100,000 Rand each. And when you start looking at really top end um, firearms worldwide, it starts stretching into the millions. So if you really want to get to the rarest of the rare, you're going to be hitting, uh, I think the, the highest I saw was about 15 million uh, Rand uh, converted back from dollars of a particularly rare pistol which had belonged to a really important person. So it's informed by the context of the firearm and the, the field of interest in which it forms and what it meant to society at that time. I think I might have mentioned, you know, the collection of firearms goes way back. Louis XIII was the first 
best recognized collector of firearms. And he collected them because he said it's important for future generations to know what we were doing. And <clears throat> pardon me, he collected firearms at that stage, which to this day form a, a reference collection. Um, so we've been around for a long time and taking snapshots of history and heritage. I, I will just um, quote to you, if I may, a, a, a short uh, excerpt from the mission of our association. It will give you a feel, give the listeners a feel for what we're all about. It's there to promote the collection, the study, the research, the restoration, the conservation, the evaluation, and the responsible use of collectible and heritage firearms and related artifacts. And I think the artifact is also important because it's all the little bits and pieces and trappings that go around it, which um, inform the picture of what it was like to use a firearm at that stage. What did you have to carry with you? What were the bits and pieces you had to have it to hand? And how did it work? And how effectively did it work? And what impact did that have on its use? And it, it's that picture of history that we tried to portray. So let me tell you why I asked you that question. And it was a bit of a loaded question because I wanted to hear those values. What the anti-gun lobbyists do not understand is that organizations such as yourself and specifically collectors within the associations have a lot of resources and when it comes to the value that they want to protect of their collection if the state had to suddenly outlaw the issuing of firearm licenses and prevent collectors from collecting different firearms or sports shotters from going out and exercising their disciplines or hunters there would have to be a buyback scheme and our fiscus can never, ever, at this point in time, afford that buyback scheme, and nor is there a policy in place for that. In fact, legislation, like you very rightly pointed out, allows for collectors, allows for dedicated sports shooters, as well as hunters. And that was the point I wanted to raise, was the value is, is such that it's a worldwide phenomenon that people want to collect something that's rare. And like you said, something that may be linked to a point in history for example, a firearm may not necessarily be rare, but who it belonged to or in what context it was used. And there's so much more to the use of firearms or the collection of firearms than merely self-defense. And this is where this anti-gun lobby gets blown out the water because they seem to think that all these firearms that are in private hands are somehow introduced onto the street and are being used, whereas we know for a fact they're not. I'm glad we were able to cover that. We're going to take a break. When we come back, I want to talk about the upcoming fair because I want to our listeners to have an invitation to go out and to learn more about this very fascinating field of arms and ammunition collection and what they can expect at the fair. We're going to take a break. We'll be chatting to you straight after this. You're listening to The Confidential Brief with Chad Thomas on High FM. We're chatting to Kevin Webb today. He is the chairperson of the Gauteng South African Arms and Ammunition Collectors Association, or the president thereof. And it's an association that uh, really strives to ensure that the public is made aware of the important role played by collectors. And more importantly, their collectors abide by a constitution and a, and, and a set of rules set up by the association that ensure that they are 
you know, cognizant of the fact that they are playing a massive role in showing the public the importance of arms collection and the fact that arms are not just there to be used um, for self-defense or like we've seen in the horrific use thereof by, by people that are using illegal firearms to commit criminal acts. So one of the ways in which this message is sent and for the and not just for the message to be sent but for the collectors to get together is the annual fair. And I for one am looking forward to it. It's down the road from where I'm based. And um, Carvel, tell us a little bit more about the upcoming fair. Yeah, uh, thank you, Chad. Uh, I think I, before I did that, um, you prompted a question in my mind just before the break. So I just sat and did a bit of a little rough, rough calculation here. As, as you said, we are um, custodians, I guess, of the firearms that we have more than the owners. And that forms an important part of South Africa's national estate. As I said to you earlier, uh, you'll find them in private collections, not in museums. And at a rough calculation, if we were to have to take all of those firearms out of circulation by some quirk of legislation, we're looking at in excess of 1 billion rand, which would be a loss not just to us, but to South Africa's national estate. And when it comes to value, I'll give you one little example that we just happen to be currently busy with. Uh, over the last couple of days. Um, there's a little pistol called a Tangfolio. It's made in South America. Uh, its value is probably um, 1,500, 2,000 Rand. But what value are you going to put on that if it happened to be the firearm that belonged to Winnie Mandela? And that's what I'm busy with at the moment. It's going to feature in the Bronfort Museum. Uh, it has to uh, be made safe so that the situation can be uh, created, so that it can be displayed safely. And we're in discussion with the Heritage Resources Agency as to how best this thing can, in fact, be preserved. Now, what value do you place on that? Uh, and this is the dilemma that we're always faced with. So coming back then to uh, where are we going uh, this year uh, on the 13th and the 14th of August, at the Ditsong National Museum of Military History. It's a very exciting occasion for us because it's the first one we've managed to hold now in three years, courtesy of that nasty bug called uh, COVID, uh, because it smacked us on the head in uh, uh, 2020 and again in 2021. We just weren't able to hold such an event in terms of the regulations which were in place at that time. So we are now a little bit of a phoenix rising here in that we are bringing this back and as such we are taking a slightly broader focus and the focus this time is on collecting all things military what i had said to you earlier was we don't only focus on firearms we focus on the things around firearms and the focus this year is a is a broader picture uh, to try and create a sense of how it um, fitted in. So we will be looking at all of these things. And as such, we have two groups of reenactors who will be creating dioramas or scenes, portraying the border war, uh, the liberation struggle, uh, World War II uh, through Vietnam up to the current, so people will be able to look at these scenes and say, oh, 
uh, is this what was happening? Is this what they were doing with their firearms? Uh, and that's really what it's all about. We're going to take a quick ad break. When we come back, um, I want to talk more about the actual event. These enactments sound amazing, especially in view of the one that you mentioned with the liberation movements. We've just had that movie come out, um, Silverton Siege. So it sounds very, very fascinating. We'll be back straight after this. You're listening to The Confidential Brief with Chad Thomas on High FM. Chatting today to Carvel um, Webb, and he's chatting about the upcoming collector's fair that's going to be taking place at the military museum behind the Johannesburg, Johannesburg Zoo. I call it that, not by its formal name, because that's where most people know it. It's where that incredible monument stands. And, and, and Carvel, I believe it's going to be a day for the entire family. It's, it's stretched across two days. Um, why is it a day for the entire family and why should we be attending? I know why I'm attending and I'm taking my nephews and my nieces, but why should our listeners be attending? Yeah, I think we're very fortunate in that um, uh, Saka is based at um, the Military Museum. Uh, that's where we have our, our headquarters. Uh, so we have a very good working relationship with them. And the museum itself is a very family-friendly environment. So... Yes, if the kids aren't interested in, in the stuff, then the organizers have made sure that there's um, kids' entertainment available, uh, that while mom and dad are looking around, the kids can amuse themselves safely on some of the exhibits that have been made safe, um, to climb around on these things, a jumping castle, lots of food stalls, and uh, lots of things to, to, to make it a comfortable family outing. But the, the real message is to be able to portray the use of uh, firearms, weapons, artifacts, and all the bits and pieces that go with it in context so that it's a living history illustration and lesson for kids. One of our passions is to engender an appreciation for firearms and the role thereof with youngsters and the responsible handling thereof. You know, we feel that in so many cases, the accidents that we hear about, family tragedies, and things of that nature where kids are involved, it is because they ran around not really understanding that, yes, it has a role to play, but a firearm is still a lethal device, it's not a toy. And if you can see where this thing was used and why it was used and how it was used. It's a history lesson to say, just as you wouldn't go playing with a poisonous snake, then you wouldn't go playing with a razor blade. You wouldn't go be playing out of context. Now, I'm not suggesting that firearms are poisonous snakes or razor blades, but they can be dangerous if mishandled. They can be perfectly safe if they handle properly. And you need to have this mixture of respect and understanding as to what they are, the role that they played, why they were there, what they were used for, who used them, and what did they do with it. And you've touched on it as well, is to say some firearms were there for military purposes, other was for hunting, uh, other for self-defense, and some firearms, believe it or not, are just created as works of art, engineering art. Um, yes, it's a functional firearm, but it's an, it's an example of engineering art. And there's no other reason for, for, for creating it. So all of those things have a role to play. 
And we're trying to illustrate all of those things together with all the artifacts that go around it, uh, which inform that picture. So let's just recap. And the enactment part is 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 quite thrilling. I think um, the kids are going to absolutely love that. I've never attended an actual enactment. I think we've all been at those demonstrations given by the police and the special forces um, at a school festival or a fete where they pretend there's an armed robbery taking place and there's sirens and lights and smoke grenades and um, flash booms taking place. But what you talk about a specific reenactment which sound very exciting. So the reenactments, let's just recap on those and then what else we can expect at the fair over the two days. Yeah, sure. Um, I must emphasize the reenactment for security reasons is not dynamic. We don't want somebody to get a fright and say, oh, heck, there's a terrorist running through here. I happen to have my firearm with me. I'm going to take him out. And uh, that, that, that would be an absolute tragedy. So they are dioramas with live people in live uniforms uh, with Firearms used at the time, showing what it looked like, how they looked, how they would use it, and illustrate that in a setting which would have been typical of that time in that situation. And it is viewable, and they can interact with the public, ask questions, get information, and form some appreciation of what was happening in the Bush War, what was happening in the liberation struggle, what was happening in World War II. Um, and, and what were the guys who were there at the time faced with and what did they do? So it, it's that type of, of uh, a reenactment. Now, what we also have is a broad variety of, of displays from our members, uh, because this is the one occasion you will understand from a security perspective that collectors are not going to invite the public into their private houses to come and look at their firearms. You just don't know who's going to roll up and say, all right, I want to look at your guns. Um, so we have to look at a controlled situation with very strict uh, security and safety, but which is visible then to the public, is to say, these things that are being collected, what are these collections? What do they comprise? What is the message behind them? And have an opportunity to talk to some of the people as in terms of the things that you've been asking. What is the value? Why was it important? Why do you collect these things? And it's this opportunity to interact with the, the general public to, to uh, grow that appreciation. And then lastly, but by no means least, in fact, probably very important, we have a large number of traders there who will be trading in militaria and all the related artifacts. Obviously, you can't go and buy and sell guns in terms of licensing conditions, although we do have on the Saturday, most importantly, the, uh, the classic arms auction of collectible firearms and related military. Uh, so that takes up a big chunk of the Saturday. And if you want to get a feel for the values that you are asking about and what do bayonets and swords and helmets and bandoliers and pistols and rifles and shotguns and so on. What are they actually fetching in terms of uh, value in the market at the moment? There's an ideal window to go and look and see what's happening in real time with uh, the value of collectible firearms. So to summarize, it's uh, a lot of kiddies entertainment. Um, we've got the reenactment dioramas. Uh, we've got all the collections. We've got the traders. We've got the auction. And all of that put together, I think, 
is a package, you know, for the whole family, starting at nine o'clock on the Saturday and starting to maybe wrap up just after lunch on the Sunday. The Arms Collectors Fair 2022 with the theme Collecting All Things Militaria. It's going to be held at the Ditsong National Museum of Military History in Saxonwold on Saturday 13th and Sunday 14th of August, starting at 9 a.m. The charge is the usual municipal entrance fee. There's no other charges. There's going to be trade tables, classic arms auctions of arms and militaria, military reenactments, member collection displays, and, of course, food stalls and kids' entertainment. For inquiries... You can call 011-646-1311 or S-A-A-A-C-A at iAfrica.com. Those information um, details as well as the details of the fair are on our group Confidential Brief Radio Show. Koval, a very, very warm thank you for, for joining us this afternoon. Right. Thank you very much, Chad. And thanks for the opportunity. And we look forward to seeing you and some of your listeners there. I look forward to meeting with you all up on those two days. That was Carval Webb. He is the president of the South African Arms and Ammunition Collectors Association, Gauteng Region, chatting about the upcoming arms collecting fair of 2022. Something that's very important, I believe, for people to understand, especially the public at large, that are receiving a lot of information from various lobbyists who are making the anti-gun um, argument that of legal gun owners. And it's an argument that's been around for absolute decades. And it, in my opinion, it's the incorrect argument. Because like Carvel pointed out, the majority of legal firearm owners are disciplined. They understand the law and they understand everything there is to owning a firearm. And that firearm isn't necessarily there to shoot out a projectile to injure somebody in self-defense. That weapon could be a collector's item. It could be used for sports. It could be used for enactments. It could be used for hunting. And it is a multi-million, if not billion rand industry that uh, contributes to the fiscus. And law-abiding collectors are people that contribute to the fiscus. And when we have the argument about legal gun ownership, we need to take into consideration that there's a lot more to gun ownership than just what's being portrayed out there. Please join me next week. I'll be in conversation with the brilliant profiler who has so many titles. He's an advocate. He is a professor at Wits of Clinical Psychology. He is a brigadier, retired as the head of the profiling unit of SAPS. And he is none other than Gerard Labuskakhni. He's the author of the Profiler series. And the second of his books is coming out. And we're going to be discussing these profiling books and the role of profiling in South African law enforcement next week, same time, same place. My name is Chad Thomas. Thank you so much for joining us today.